0: Hey, this is Candice Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Not a lot this week, about a question: Would Jesus have been the world changer that he was is without the disciples? want to let you sit with that for a second. I tortured my Wednesday night women's group with this question this week. Would Jesus have been the world changer that he was without the disciples? And it feels a little sacrilegious to say no, right? No, of course Jesus could. He is God. He can do whatever he wants, right? He doesn't need people to do it. And yet he is perfect. His plan is perfect. And he used people. All the teachings would have been the same, but would we know them today? All the miracles would have happened, but would they have inspired pursuance of the Holy Spirit for centuries later? The the humility that he taught, the forgiveness that he taught, would we know about it today, if not for the disciples? I I read an article this week. I actually linked it in the sermon notes in the app if you want to go back and read it, but it's called 6 Surprisingly, Jesus Changed the World. That's by John Ortberg, but it's a HuffPost piece. It's sort of written from the perspective of a non-believer. We all know how Jesus changed our world, but six surprising ways Jesus changed the world, and I want to read some of this to you. you know, Yale historian Jaroslav Polikkin wrote, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of supermagnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? He's everywhere, whether we think he is or not. And here are, here are the six surprising ways. I'm just going to sum these up for us. Number one is children. You know, we talked about children a little bit earlier and how they are the future. And, and generally, and Jason made a joke that he coined that term, but it, it's, a, it's a very common knowledge thing in our culture, right? We love children. We believe in them. We want to equip them and raise them up. And <clears throat> However... In ancient culture, children were not looked at that way. In fact, they were routinely left to die of exposure, particularly if they were the wrong gender. And I'll let you guess which one is the wrong one. Right? They were sold into slavery very often. We even see this scene in Jesus' ministry where children are running to him, flocking to him. And what do the disciples do? They want to get rid of them for him. These little nuisances, let us take care of them for you. Jesus, and what does Jesus say? Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He believes in them. He loves them. He welcomes them. He was the world's first kids pastor. Jesus' treatment of and teachings about children led to the forbidding of such practices as child slavery and leaving them to die of exposure. He also His teachings also inspired orphanages and the system of godparents, right? Systems of dealing with children who have no parents, what to do with them, how to bring them back into family. A Norwegian scholar named Bach wrote a study of this impact simply titled, When Children Became People, The Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity. Amazing way that Jesus has changed the world. Number two is education. Love of learning led to monasteries, which became the cradle of academic guilds. Universities such as Cambridge and Oxford and Harvard all began as Jesus-inspired efforts to love God with all one's mind. The first legislation to publicly fund education in the colonies was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. Under the notion that God does not want any child ignorant and therefore able to be tricked, we should educate them. Show them the way God's world works, the way he's ordered it to work. The ancient world loved education, but they tended to reserve it for the elite only, the rich only. 1% of people were educated. The other 99% did not deserve to be, right? That's the way the ancient world thought of it. But Christians changed all that. Jesus' teaching changed all that. There was this notion that every child bore God's image, and it helped fuel the move for universal literacy. Number three is compassion. Jesus held a universal concern for those who suffered. It transcended the rules of the ancient world. His compassion for the poor and sick led to institutions for lepers, which led to our our modern-day hospitals. The Council of Nyssa decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a hospice, a place of caring for the sick. And poor. That's why even today, hospitals many times will have names like Good Samaritan or Good Shepherd or Saint something, right? They were the world's first voluntary charitable institutions. Jesus did that. Think about it. In, in Jesus' teachings, he taught of the Good Samaritan, right? And where did the Good Samaritan take the man he found lying on the side of the road? Did he take him to a hospital? Call 911? There was no system for that. He took him to somebody's house, a hotel type of thing, and paid them to take care of him. There was no system for taking care of the sick and the poor until Jesus showed up and changed all that. Number four, humility. The ancient world honored many virtues like courage and wisdom, but definitely not humility. People were generally divided into first class and coach. There was no in-between, and there was no changing that system. In fact, Cicero said, rank must be preserved. They thought the, the class system was necessary to human survival. Plutarch wrote a, book, a self-help book called How to Praise Yourself Inoffensively. Humility was not something they held very highly. Jesus' life as a foot-washing servant, would eventually lead to the adoption of humility as a widely admired virtue. Historian John Dixon writes, It is unlikely that any of us would aspire to this virtue were it not for the historical impact of his crucifixion. Our culture remains cruciform long after it stopped being Christian. It's no longer acceptable in polite conversation to praise yourself inoffensively, right? Right? We all value humility to some extent because of Jesus. Forgiveness is number five. In the ancient world, virtue meant rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. Conan the Barbarian was actually paraphrasing Genghis Khan and his famous answer to the question, what is best in life? The answer was to crush your enemies and see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of their women. This is what was best in life. terror brutality an alternative idea came from jesus what is best in life is to love your enemies and see them reconciled to you hannah arendt the first woman appointed to full professorship at princeton claimed the discoverer of the role of forgiveness in the realm of human affairs was jesus of nazareth this may be debatable but he certainly gave the idea unique publicity forgiveness was not something anyone aspired to before Jesus came on the scene. And number six, humanitarian reform. Jesus had a way of championing the excluded that was often downright irritating to those in power. His inclusion of women led to a community to which women flocked in disproportionate numbers and slaves, which sometimes were up to a third of ancient civilizations. Slaves might wander into a church fellowship and have a slave owner wash their feet rather than beat them. One ancient text instructed bishops to not interrupt worship to greet a wealthy attender, but to sit on the floor and welcome the poor. The Apostle Paul said, Now there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male and female, but all are one in Jesus Christ. And Thomas Cahill wrote that this was the first statement of egalitarianism in human literature. The first one to write anything even close to the fact that we are all equal Was a Jesus follower? Because Jesus changed all that. The one predictable element of every U.S. presidential campaign is that it will be called the most important election of our time, right? Just like the one before that and the one after that will be. Meanwhile, the unpredictable influence of an unelected carpenter continues to endure and spread across the world. Whatever you believe, his influence on our world is undeniable, and good. It's good. It's us that messes that up sometimes. We, as his people, as his church, we get things backwards sometimes, and we make church not a song that we can sing about anymore, at least in a good way. I hope that we're a church like that song. We're a place that feels like home, because I believe that's what Jesus felt like. Home. Love. Goodness justice, helping the sick, caring for the poor. That's what he's done in our world. And when you look at it through those lenses, it's hard to see a world that's getting worse. Christians, we love to believe that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and everything's bad out there. And outside of our Christian bubble, people are just evil and wrong and things are just terrible. Jesus, come back now. We, we love to believe these things and we think we have to hide our children away from the world. Like our families, we need to pull away from the world and make these Christian bubbles and we can't hear anything. We have to shelter ourselves. Do what you like, but I raise my children to be influencers, not influenced. I raise them to be leaders in their schools, not followers of anyone but Jesus. I, I Sending them back to school... This week, I got emotional every time I thought about this, but I raise my kids to spread the good news. Because if we don't tell them, who will? Who will tell Littlestown Elementary School about Jesus? Who will bring them if they don't? Who will stand up for the bullied kid? Who will sit with them at lunch, the kid that doesn't have any friends? If my kids aren't there, who will do that? I don't think about the effect the world is going to have on them because they have a church like this that they've been raised in. They're in every single weekend where people believe in them. There are peers that believe the same thing they do. There are other adults speaking the same things as I am. They have a place that is home. I can send them into the world so they can be a light there if I'm using the church correctly, a healthy church correctly. I don't believe our world is getting worse. But I am scared of what happens to the world if we pull out of it. As Christians, as Jesus followers, when, when do, does our influence stop making these positive changes in the world? It's when we pull out. There have certainly been worse times to live. Before the flood, for example, would not have been a fun time to live when God literally had to rewrite history. History. Or Sodom and Gomorrah would have been a terrible, terrible place and time to live. Evil has been here from the very beginning. It's always been here. There's nothing new under the sun. Cultures change. It ebbs and flows, sure. But God is still in control. We have nothing to fear from this world. We're not on the run. Satan is. Jesus has already overcome it, and he lives in us. Not in churches, not in Christian communities and cultures, in us. We take him wherever we go. If we are there, the light is there. If we are there, the hope is there. If we are there, the love is there. The joy is there. The peace is there because Jesus is in us. We have nothing to fear from this world. We take him wherever we go. But if not for the disciples, would we even know? Moses had a big impact on our history, but our culture doesn't quote him like they quote Jesus. Elijah and Elisha did miracles, but we barely know their stories. Jesus made a huge impact on our world. And God has always worked through people. If you want to get theological about it, it's called incarnational ministry. God sent a human to fix us. And he continues to send humans to help, to serve, to speak on his behalf. Jesus commissioned people too. Human, flawed, messed up, sinful people. That should be an encouragement to all of us. Right? We are also human, flawed, and sinful. And God wants to use us as well. And the account we're going to read today is our commissioning. So far in this series, we have defined who we are, our identity. We are vibrant, passionate, and selfless. Jason and I can hardly stop ourselves from saying that constantly from this stage. It's who we are. And I spent a lot of time this week really nailing down those definitions. Vibrant disciples are single-minded in their dynamic life worship of God. It's the fun part of who we are. It's the colorful part of who we are. It's the focused part of who we are. Everything else can fade away because we're so into this thing. We're so into Jesus and who he is. Our light shines bright. Vibrant disciples are single-minded in their dynamic life worship of God. Passionate disciples obediently pursue more of Jesus. It's the depth to who we are. We're obedient. We pursue more and more and more of Jesus. And we may not be perfect yet. We may not be there yet where we want to be, but we're getting there. We're obedient, stepping out, trusting him a little more each day. That's the passionate part of who we are because passionate disciples obediently pursue more of Jesus. Selfless disciples are willing to sacrifice comfort to demonstrate love another huge piece of who we are and I've seen it in this church over and over and over again you're selflessly sacrificing your own comfort to demonstrate love to the people around you and it's an amazing, amazing piece of who we are, we're vibrant passionate and selfless but what do we do with that? God is a God of purpose He is a purposeful God. He doesn't develop us for no reason. Remember, I say this a lot, but when God does something, he's doing something, right? Maybe I don't say it enough. When God does something, he's doing something. And even when he isn't doing anything, he's doing something. He is a purposeful God. When he makes a move, he's doing something in your life. And when he doesn't make a move, he's doing something in your life. He doesn't do things for no reason. Everything he does is perfect, meaning whole, complete. Needs nothing to complete it. It is whole. It's perfect. And so, if he makes us vibrant, passionate, and selfless, there must be a reason for it. There must be something we have to do with it. Remember, we're made in God's image. We are purposeful beings. We are diligent beings because that's who he is. And so this passage we're reading today is our commissioning, and it comes from the book of Acts. It's actually also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. It's just filtered through their different personalities. Has anybody read through the Gospels lately and noticed some differences? Yeah? Thank you. Appreciate that. Matthew, uh, the account that we read in Matthew tells us that this was on the mountaintop. Now, Matthew tends to tell us the excellent side of things. He's, he tells us the regal, respectable, powerful traits of Jesus. And he has this attention to detail. Matthew was an accountant, uh, the detail guy. Right? Nothing is out of order in his book. He quoted the Old Testament the most because he wanted you to know that this was well thought out. All the details are there. Mark is all about the servanthood of Jesus. His gospel doesn't list the genealogy of Jesus because who would want to know the pedigree of a servant? It tells us about his foot-washing qualities. We put others first. Luke's gospel is trying to show us Jesus as a man, his relationship side, his human side. And John's gospel tries to show us that Jesus was God. He's looking for his sovereign side and he teaches us that part. And so we see this account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and we know from Matthew's gospel that this account happened on a mountain. It's our fourth and final mountaintop moment in this series and maybe the most important in all of scripture. We know that it happened in Galilee and we know that Jesus had asked them to meet him there. And being the passionate Remember, passionate equals obedience, being the passionate and obedient disciples that they were. They went to meet him. And so Acts 1, verse 6 is where we see this account. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Has the time come for you to vindicate us? Has the time come for you to rescue us? Has the time come for you to be the ruler and we can all have positions of authority and we can really stick it to those guys who tortured us for the past three years? Has that time come? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. Remember the necessary ignorance of man we talked about a couple weeks ago. There are pieces of God that we're not meant to know. Moses couldn't see God's face. There is a necessary ignorance to man. And it's the portion of our faith that is faith, that is trust, is stepping out on the water a little bit, right? That we have to trust that God's got this. He knows more about this than we do. He can see a bigger picture than we see. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you're a good Pentecostal Bible-thumping Christian, this is the verse to memorize, okay? Acts 1-8, but you will receive power. Verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here, staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. <clears throat> a couple of lists I want to give you today. I feel like I've already given you a couple lists, but I have a couple more. First of all, I want you to notice out of this passage that the disciples said, Has the time come? They were longing for something, looking for some vindication, looking for some relief from the tough three years that they just had. But things had changed. Jesus died, He resurrected, He was appearing to them from time to time. And here they were on this mountain, and they thought, Now must be the time, the breakthrough moment. We've been waiting for this. We've been made fun of for this. We've been tortured in our culture for this. This is it. This must be it. But Jesus is a master redirector. Anybody work with toddlers? You know what redirection is? Right? Two toddlers are fighting over a toy. Instead of reprimanding them, you just redirect. Oh, look at this toy over here. Oh, Bubbles. Right? And they forget all about the, the issue. They are redirected. Jesus did this here. Those dates are not for you to know, but you will receive power. He shifts their focus from something they don't need to know from what they do need to know. Because world changers are focused on their mission. They're focused on their mission. And they trust God to work out the future. Do you trust God or don't you? Do you have to know every single detail about his plan? Or can you just trust him? That He is real. He is good. He has your best in mind for you. He loves you so much more than you even love yourself. And he knows more about you than you know about yourself. Trust him. He's got this. He didn't, Jesus didn't reprimand them for asking. Right? I think their hearts were probably in the right place. They wanted to see the name of Jesus glorified, and they wanted to see him set up as ruler, and they knew that he was good and perfect, and he had their best in mind, and who wouldn't want that as their king? Right? He didn't reprimand them for asking. It's okay to long for the days when God will come back and set everything right, and we will be in heaven, and we'll get to worship him all the time and be in his presence. It's, it's okay to long for that, but it's not where we are now. God's word never asks us to deny reality. We think that a lot as Christians. Oh, no, 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 don't say that you're sick. Don't even confess it out loud. Well, that's the reality I'm living in right now. I don't deny that I'm sick. I just also don't deny that I serve a God that's bigger than sickness. I might be sick today, but God has the power to change that for tomorrow. I still believe that both things can be true. World changers are focused on their mission and they trust God to work out the future. It's not where we are now. We have a mission to accomplish now. Someday we will know. Our questions will be answered. I can remember growing up when my mom used to, uh, to dream with us before we'd go to bed and just you know, say, what, what questions are you going to have for God when you get to heaven? Right? What questions do you have for him? What things she would also help us dream about our mansions in heaven and what will be up there? the crowns we would get in heaven for all of the good deeds we did without telling anybody. Help us build that picture in our minds. But world changers can't stay there because we're not there yet. World changers have to go back down the mountain. And we've spent a lot of time in this series talking about those God moments, those presence moments. In that video we watched the past... Three weeks before the sermon, I talked about journeying up the mountain and the extreme presence of God, right? And they're good, and we need them. We need mountaintop moments in our faith. We need breakthrough moments where God speaks and our perspective shifts and everything seems to change, but we can't stay there. We have to go back down the mountain. We need mountaintop moments. We cannot stay there because we have a job to do. We have a job to do those angels showed up and they said hey guys why are you standing here Jesus just gave you a job go into all the world and preach the good news start here and then go a little further out and then go a little further out and it, guess what it's going to go to the ends of the earth that's your job go do it it's almost like they were shooing them off the mountain go guys shoo get out of here you can't stay here forever. You can't just be looking up into heaven forever. He's gone now. He gave you a job to do. What are you doing to get ready for it? We have a job to do. To do that, sometimes we need a few things. You know, I struggled this week with God. Jesus is perfect, right? His plan is perfect. And he asked the disciples to be at that mountain at that time. He commissioned. And orchestrated this whole moment. So the disciples must have needed it, right? God doesn't do things without a purpose. They must have needed that moment somehow. What did they get out of that moment of seeing Jesus ascend? And the first thing is I I think they needed closure. Sometimes we can't walk into a new season before we let go of the old one. I think the disciples were probably still longing for the days when Jesus was with them. When he, they could touch and, and feel and see him. When they can ask real questions and get real answers. Right? I think they were hanging on to those days. And maybe they lost the hope for a little bit when Jesus died. But then he was back, right? And maybe they were still hanging on to some of that. I mean, it's pretty obvious from their question they didn't understand what was happening yet. <laughs> it's now the time. I had no idea Jesus was going to fly up into heaven. (laughs) None. But they needed that moment to solidify what was happening. There's a new chapter coming. Stop rereading the last chapter. Close it and move on to the next one. I wonder, what chapter do you need to close right now? In order to be ready for what God is calling you to in the next chapter. Oh, they needed a mountaintop moment to inspire them to begin a new chapter, a new season of trust, a new season of walking on the water with Jesus, even though He isn't there to hold their hand. Now, some Christians have given their lives to Jesus so many times, but I think they lose it because they don't do anything with it. There's no one there holding the hand up, saying, "Come on, a little further, a little further." We'll teach you a little bit more, may help you along a little bit more. No, it's not a bad thing to keep coming back and to keep raising your hand and keep giving your life to Jesus, to keep rededicating it, but you wouldn't have to do that if you had some purpose along with it. If you stepped out into your purpose a little bit, they not only needed closure, they needed a commissioning. They needed a job to do. They needed a purpose, something to go out and accomplish. At some point in your discipleship walk, you have to transition from a lamb to a sheep. You have to grow up a little bit, right? To stop getting spoon-fed biblical knowledge only from the, the pulpit every single week and start getting into the word for yourself understanding solid foods not just milk anymore you have to transition from a lamb to a sheep always with jesus as your shepherd right but grow up a little bit and soon hopefully you'll have more little lambs following you other young christians that you can bring along follow me as i follow jesus Let's do this together. Let's find the answers together. And I I can't tell you when it will happen for you, but you have to find someone, somewhere, somehow to pour into, to duplicate your faith with. And I firmly believe that God gave me bold and brave, my Wednesday night women's group, as a, a vision and a mission from him. Not so much for the women, although I think that's important too, but he gave it to me for me. I teach them what I'm learning. And guess what, Wednesday comes every single week. And every single week I have to be in the word now. It's not a question mark, I don't get an option. I have to be in it and and in addition to the sermons I'm preparing, right? I have to be in it for me so I can teach them something that I'm learning right now and I have to learn it deeply enough to be able to teach it cuz they have questions, y'all. Right? got to be able to answer them to the best of my ability anyway. He gave it to me for me to give me discipline. give me that deeper obedience and passion to have people to pour into, to duplicate my faith with. It's, it's purpose. And anything you do, if you don't know the purpose behind it, it's bound to get old after a while. As I was studying last week, no, two weeks ago, The Sermon on Being Passionate. I probably spent 30 hours just studying that specific book of the Bible. It was a couple books, actually. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And spent so much time in it, and I got all these breakthroughs in it. And I literally just had to go through my sermon notes and delete whole paragraphs. I just didn't have the time to get through it all. But I had to say it out loud. I felt like if I didn't just tell someone, I was going to lose those revelations from God. And so I just pulled people throughout the week. I said, come here. I just need to talk for a little bit. I need to get it out so I don't lose it. It's when you don't tell somebody what you're learning. It's in one ear and out the other. You lose it after a while. You all might go home today with one or two little takeaways from this. But I have this wealth of new knowledge from it. Because I've learned it to the point where I can teach it learning by leaps and bounds because i've been in it for myself we need a commissioning our faith needs a commissioning to survive you need a job to do you need a purpose in it find someone to pour into it's our job go into all the world make disciples be witnesses by the way We often, uh, Christians, the main excuse for not evangelizing is that we just don't know enough. I'm scared. What if they ask me a question? I don't know that much about the word. Like, I believe it, but I I don't really understand it all the time. I have trouble reading it for myself. I'm just, I'm scared. Well, Jesus didn't ask you to be a Bible scholar. He didn't tell you all to go to Bible school. He said one very simple job description. Be a witness a witness just tells about what they have seen and heard firsthand what they've experienced of god firsthand that's all you have to do what have you learned from god lately what are you learning right now what is jesus doing in your life what has he brought you from who were you before jesus and who are you now that's your story that's your witness they ask you questions you know what I don't I don't have all the answers yet we can go ask somebody who might we can look up the scriptures for ourselves I don't have those answers I just know what God has done for me and I know he can do it for you too that's it be a witness and by the way number three is they needed a helper because you were never meant to do that alone that still sounds scary to you don't do it alone you were never meant to Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Power, Holy Spirit, power. You were never meant to do this in your own strength because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses and we need to get to work. The disciples needed to get to work. You know, there's this, probably one of my favorite passages in scripture right now is this moment at the end of the book of john where it's after the crucifixion the resurrection jesus shows up and it it doesn't say for sure but it seems to be this moment when the disciples had sort of given up well i guess we'll just go back to fishing now i i don't know and so they're out in the water and they're fishing and suddenly jesus appears on the shore Get back into shore, and he's cooking them breakfast. He's sitting with them. He's being family with them. But you can just feel Peter's shame, his guilt in this moment. Imagine them just sitting there around a campfire, eating in silence, and Peter's thinking, I just denied him three times when he needed me the most. I am the worst. I am awful. I do not deserve to be here. What is he gonna say? What does he think of me? Right? I know his thoughts because I've been there. I don't deserve to be in God's presence. I don't deserve to stand up there and talk about him. I don't deserve any of this. But of course we don't. I'm not up here because I deserve to be. I'm up here because God commissioned me. I have a job to do. He is qualifying me as I'm stepping into that calling. And so we see Jesus look at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And he asks again, Peter, do you love me? Lord, of co- you know I love you. Of course I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And a third time, to the point where Peter's feelings get hurt, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, of course I love you. And Jesus again says feed my sheep. Jesus also said they will know you are from me because of your love. We don't have a choice as Christians but to share love with people. It's the only job. Love God, love people. Feed my sheep. That's the job. Get off the mountain. Why are you still standing here? Go do the job you were put here to do. In this series, we have defined vibrant, passionate, and selfless. Vibrant disciples are single-minded in their dynamic life worship of God. Passionate disciples obediently pursue Jesus. Selfless disciples are willing to sacrifice comfort to demonstrate love. But we change the world with the message of the gospel not because of who we are, because of who he is. It needs no more than that. I tried 15 different ways. I was messing with all of these descriptions. I tried to add things to we change the world with the message of the gospel. It doesn't need anything. We change the world, not by being just vibrant, passionate, and selfless, because that's not enough. We change the world not by just serving the poor because that's not enough we change the world with the message of the gospel because it's always been enough So, we ever need a message of the gospel if it needs anything it might be a little parentheses afterward we change the world with the message of the gospel by the power of the holy spirit because we can't do this in our own strength we can't even be vibrant passionate and selfless all of the time in our own strength we need the Holy Spirit. And we've been in this mountaintop series. We've lived through these amazing breakthrough moments with God, extreme presence of God, with these amazing people throughout the Word. But we can't stay here. The mountaintop series has been fun, but we can't stay here. We can't camp out in this sanctuary. We can't stay here. Do you know why? Why? There's only Christians here. There's only believers here. If we don't go out those doors, who will tell them about the hope, the love, the joy, the peace that comes with Jesus. Don't discover a church home, a, a place to find inspiration, the presence of God that you need, and then keep it all to yourself. spread the word we need this every week we need to come in, we need to get filled up and then we need to go back out there and let it pour out onto our world come back in, fill up go back out, pour it out come back in, fill up go back out, pour it out we need the mountaintop moments but our lives are meant to be in and out up the mountain getting that breakthrough moment with God and back down the mountain We need to go renew our vibrancy, feed our passion, practice our selflessness, and then we can go out and change the world. We've got a job to do. Why are you still standing here, staring into heaven? That was the angel's question. Why are you standing here? Jesus isn't here right now, but he's coming back. What are you going to do to prepare the world for that? Your world, your people, how can you be a light in their world this week? How can you love them and give them hope for the future? That's your job. You can't sit back and say, I don't know, that's God's job. I don't do that. God convicts. That's his job. That's not your job. Us trying to convict other people is what creates churches that people sing bad songs about. Not our job. Our job is to show love. Show them Jesus. Because that's how we change the world, with the message of the gospel. Today I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. It's just going to be a simple hand raise. I want to give my life to Jesus, maybe for the first time, for the first time in a long time. But I'm also going to ask for a response for. Those of you who have felt like you've been hiding from the world lately and you haven't shown your vibrancy, your passion, your selflessness to the world and you wanna make a decision to do that today. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you that it's useful to teach us, correct us, guide us into all truth. Thank you that it can convict us from the inside out that we want to be obedient to you. We don't feel like we have to, like it's an obligation, but we want to. We're desperate to please you because you are so good. You are love. You are real. You are good. Father, I pray for every single person sitting here today that you would show us our gifts and talents, the purposes that you've placed within us from birth. Show us how we can love our world like we were created to. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to IMN. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
1: been playing crazy church camp games. If, if it's your first week here with us for church camp, we had, we had people eating donuts on a string and throwing snowballs and, and all kinds of crazy games. But that's not the only thing that's special about church camp. Every service, there's a special element where individuals share their talents with us. Special music, highlight performances. And today we want to offer one to you. Would you guys... Welcome Aaron, Janelle, and Anna as they lead us in a song. There was a time that I swore I would never go back I was blind to the truth, didn't know More broken than the last. Take me Take back, back to the place that feels like home, to the, the people, people I can depend on, on, to the faith that's in my bones. Take, Take me back, back to a preacher and a verse, verse. where you see me out. On
0: guys. Can we give them another round of applause? That was awesome. I asked them to sing that song a couple of weeks ago, and when it first came across my screen, when I heard that song for the first time, I immediately stiffened. The title is Church, Take Me Back, and there are some songs about church that aren't so kind, right? I stiffened a little bit, but as I began to hear the song, I, I, I hope that we are a church that feels like home, and we say welcome home a lot at Freedom Alley because we want it to feel like home. Like you can let your hair down in the presence of God a little bit. So he accepts you as you are. Right? Are we a place like that? I hope that we are. But I, disciples are influencers. Disciples are world changers. A lot of churches aren't that way. And I thought a lot this week about a question. Would Jesus